Hey, how's it going, everybody? It is Dylan Conroy, the Chief Revenue Officer of Social Standard, and I'm here with my co-host this week, Ray Kim. Ray, you want to introduce yourself? Hi, guys. My name is Ray. I'm the VP of Accounts here at the Social Standard, uh, working alongside Dylan. So, yeah, we're uh, super excited about our opportunity to co-host the uh, audio version of the newsletter this week. So we're going to go ahead and dive into this week's story. Sound good to you, Ray? Cool. Sounds great. I think um, the most interesting that I found from you know, this week's newsletter was how influencers are taking their following offline, um, one meetup at a time. I think you know, as influencers um, you know, have that name recognition and they have the following you know, and they have that reach with their audiences on digital, uh, it's super important when they do you know, actual fan meetups and do live events. And we're seeing a trend in that with obviously um, gamers doing you know, conferences in Vegas, you know, podcasters doing live tours, and Instagram influencers doing actual um, DIY meetups. And I think that's kind of a huge trend that we're seeing and it's a very important step as an experiential element where we can kind of weave in influencers at these type of events. So, Yeah, I know. I love that. But uh, what about when it goes bad with like the Tara cons of the world and stuff like that? Have yeah, that's tough too. I think that's kind of the risk <laughs> that we need to take sometimes, you know, when, when there isn't a live component and there's actual, you know, audiences involved, you know, there's a lot of room for error, but at the same time, I think the benefits of having those type of personal um, experiences goes a long way with fans. And, you know, obviously uh, people are drawn to those kind of actual events and opportunities. So it's that meaningful connection that you don't really get through just straight, you know, social and digital that um, you can actually have through these meetups. Yeah, and definitely. And, and I think it also speaks obviously to the rise of all of the, you know, influencer conferences out there and stuff. I mean, these and that one-to-one -one connection that audiences have with talent, they really feel that personal relationship with them, especially mm -hmm. if they started following them early. Exactly. As the talent, you know, tends to interact with them in comments and get back to them on DMs, they feel like they've almost grown up with these people. Yes, yep. Having that opportunity to have that in-person uh, connection with with their favorite talent, I think is, you know, like you said, it's a super powerful component. And uh, it sounds like that's going to continue to be a trend moving forward. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think these tours are, are such a key element to seeing how fans interact with their, you know, the influencers and how comfortable influencers are with you know, their fans in a, in a public setting, especially when we're doing, you know, brand activations, we're always doing it on, you know, on social platforms, but seeing it actually happen with, you know, uh, a personal fan base. It's interesting to see kind of the reactions from both ends, from the influencer side and also the audience side. Yeah, it's almost that component of like the live talk show, like this exactly, yep. Letterman or the, you know, Jimmy Fallon of the, the digital world. And um, it also, I think, speaks a little bit to the economics of the influencer market now. I mean, because of things like adpocalypse and the fact that you know, Instagram doesn't even really have a great way for talent to monetize outside of brand deals. Mm -hmm. It's almost a little bit of what happened to the music industry to some degree, right? Like you can't sell, you can't sell CDs and downloads as much as you can and streaming revenue is mm -hmm. somewhat limited. So you got to get on the road and sell tickets. Absolutely. Absolutely. Totally agree. And I feel like that's a better opportunity to engage with fans like for merch too. Like people oh, for sure. 
like when you're when you when you go to a concert or you go to a live event like that physical manifestation of taking home a piece of inventory or you know like a t-shirt or some type of memorabilia i feel like that moment for merch sales just increases on site way more than it does on, does on digital oh 100% yeah and i've seen it you know firsthand you know being a part of these influencer tours before and and seeing the merchandise just kind of flying out because like you said it's a personal souvenir and it's something to tout and, and kind of show off to their friends saying like, Hey, I, I went to the Q and a for X influencer, you know, look at the merch that I got, you know, I've only, it was only available at this event. So it's kind of something that, um, you know, something like what we get when we go to, you know, a conference like E3 and we get swag, <laughs> we're not purchasing the products, but it's something kind of a souvenir that kind of showcases that you're actually at the event. Um, and I think it goes a long way for fans too. Yeah. And those things at the end of the day become walking billboards for, oh, for sure for people too. Like the fact I, I, I was at, um, I took my daughter to a Jojo Siwa conference or oh, yeah. conference, uh, concert the other night. And mm -hmm. I was just hanging out, uh, waiting to pick them. I didn't, I didn't actually go my wife and mother and, uh, my wife, my wife and my kid's uh, grandmother took them, but I was waiting for them in the parking lot outside and I saw some uh, younger mom with her daughter and she had like a yellow vamp sweater on, you know, and that made me think of that brand. And yeah, that, that, you know, influencers have this relationship with their fans through fashion now in a way too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's cool. So uh, what's up next on the agenda, Ray? Uh, I think it's lessons learned. Did you learn anything, you know, from someone's mistake, you know, recently, uh, maybe we can kind of dive into our personal experiences because, you know, we obviously handle a high volume of opportunities and campaigns and, and um, it's, it's a good chance for us to kind of touch base on, you know, kind of a, a important lesson learned. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then are we supposed to touch on something in the newsletter or no? No, I don't think so. I think that thing was the only thing. Yeah. Nice. Did you, did you kind of think of one that you wanted to talk about? Uh, lessons learned for me, I think just, uh, you know, working with high profile celebrities, sometimes it requires, you know, um, and, and w within our space of influencer marketing, you know, we always kind of walk that fine line of a digital influencer and a traditional influencer, which is like a regular celebrity or an ex athlete. And I think for us, working, Working with you know high-profile uh, celebrities, you know it comes with a lot of different types of lines of communication. The way we handle um, kind of the back and forth in terms of uh, a straight-up offer, you know, compared to how we're working with micro influencers, um, we have to approach working with you know uh, top-tier influencers a different way. You know, where it's very super buttoned up, and, and not to say that we're we're not buttoned up with micro influencers, but micro influencers. You know, we tend to talk to them directly, you know, and we have access to a lot of the talent direct, but dealing with high profile celebrities into that top influencer zone, you know, we're often working with agents and managers and the kind of line of communication requires a different type of approach um, when it comes to briefs, you know, um, personal um, touch and a lot of detail oriented messaging uh, and conversations that are had with, you know, agent direct. And I know you and I have been, um, you know, obviously managing a lot of these high profile uh, reach outs as well. So I think it's an important lesson that, you know, uh, we're continuing to learn as we're kind of uh, weaving through the influence marketing space. Yeah, no, I think that's super interesting. Um, you know, one component that I've found 
that is helpful when we're trying to design a campaign around either a celebrity or an, or an A-lister uh, in the influencer space and the more traditional influencer space is if you can really like tailor your particular campaign or what you're trying to do into something that's like already built into the fabric of their storytelling, it tends mm -hmm. to be a lot more synergistic and easy to sell through. Like if you're just working with the client, coming up with the brief on your end and trying to build something that you can plug a celebrity into that doesn't really speak to their brand and who they are as a content creator in their own right. Um, a lot of times it just feels like a work for hire. It feels like a, more of a commercial than it does a true integration. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, you're going to end up, you, they'll still do it if the money's right, but it's more a conversation around, okay, do I have the time? Does this fit my brand? And is the paycheck big enough? Absolutely. I think uh, one of probably the, the most notable example that's already out there in the public eye from our perspective is probably the work we've done with Casey Neistat and Adobe. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the, the success of that partnership was really about us, uh, you know, myself, the client, others at Social Standard really being fans of Casey's and knowing like what his content is all about, knowing what was going on recently with the launch of his business 368 and what mm -hmm. that was trying to do and what kind of an impact that was trying to ha have on the creator community and the influencer community in general. And then really tailoring our storyline to match and like weave into that seamlessly. It almost made it kind of a no brainer. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, then we can kind of, once we have that relationship, once we're in the family, so to speak, then we can kind of, you know, look at one-off blips on Adobe's marketing radar in ways that Casey kind of fits more into their um, goals. But in order to get that first relationship of, up, up and off the ground, we really needed to speak to his personal brand as much as we were coming with an opportunity and a paycheck. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that was a perfect approach. Just understanding, you know, uh, what's going on with the, the celebrity and, and understanding and being fans of their, their work as well goes a long way just because that personal touch and understanding their audience and what they're looking for and what they might be interested in doing is super key for us. I recently we reached out to a high profile celebrity and you know, the way we approached it was the CEO of the, the, the brand um, is a fellow, uh, a, a huge fan of the, the talent herself. And she wrote a personal letter, which added a, a great personal touch um, instead of us kind of sending a quick brief and talking to, you know, um, that celebrity's agent or rep, you know, we crafted a, a, a you know, handwritten letter based on you know, why she wanted to work with this you know, talent. And I think that kind of resonates better than us kind of just doing the cold call. Yeah, I think that's smart. It almost feels like uh, when you're buying a new home, you send over like a bio and <laughs> yeah. why, why you want to buy that house, who your family is, what's your, what's your personal story. And a lot of times, you know, people will pick you based on the fact that they feel some kind of a connection absolutely for things outside of just the business mm -hmm. elements like yeah like you can you can have somebody uh move into your house for the highest price but it's also nice to know that a family is going to live there or somebody that you can identify with or is going to you know fit well with the neighborhood and i feel like that personal approach to talent outreach where you really get the company involved whether it's sending like a really well thought out gift bag that is very custom to them or that handwritten letter that you just talked about 
or kind of campaign blending the campaign to really speak to their content. I think there's a lot of ways that are um, a lot stronger than just the traditional like, hey, throw an offer together and flip it over to the talent agent, cross your fingers and hope for the best. Absolutely, absolutely, hundred percent agree. I love that. Great, great, uh, great topic. Yeah. So, uh, what do we have next? Uh, interesting people learning about a new person or trend that's going on right now. Oh, that's interesting. Any, mm -hmm. any thoughts on your end? I mean, for me, everybody knows Ninja, you know, obviously <laughs> one of the biggest popular streamers out there, but his move to, you know, Microsoft's mixer, you know, recently kind of obviously hit the, hit the news, you know, pretty hard. And, you know, it was trending worldwide because, you know, everybody knows him as being, you know, the, the go-to guy in terms of Twitch streaming. And, you know, he went viral with, you know, doing, you know, gaming streams with Drake and, and Fortnite. Um, and I think his move to Microsoft Mixer is a huge, uh, huge interesting topic. I mean, just because Twitch dominates the streaming world. And I know, I think Microsoft Mixer, I read that they own maybe like 3% of the market for streaming. But with this move and, you know, obviously having an ambassador like Ninja, you know, it's going to definitely up the numbers. And I don't know what kind of um, conversation they obviously had negotiated on the back end, but I think it's a smart move on their end just to have kind of that brand ambassador face to a name. And it's kind of, it goes, it makes sense within our industry as well when we're working with brands that are trying to kind of make a name for themselves and kind of create this brand awareness when the, the space is cluttered with different brands and products. You know, they often kind of put all their chips on, you know, a, a face to their brand. And I think that's what Microsoft, you know, is doing with, with Ninja. Yeah, no, I love that. And I heard, uh, you know, his first streams over on the new Mixer platform were driving four times the engagement that he was getting over at Twitch. That is crazy. Um, yeah. Do you think that is just kind of, you know, they have what we have what we call in the industry like ad fatigue. And essentially mm -hmm. that just means like, you know, once a new format of advertising pops up, whether it's like a new feature inside of Instagram or a new platform or a new type of ad unit or a new type of integration. Like when there's a new way to do business, mm -hmm. uh, things tend to be like really, really high as far as KPIs, like right out of the gate. Um, do you think Mixer, you would, you know, this space so much better than I do, Ray coming from Machinima and Omnia and, you know, being a hardcore gamer yourself, but do you feel yeah. like, do you feel like Mixer is a, um, a superior platform to Twitch or do you feel like it's just, you know, uh, they're the new shiny game in town? They're a new shiny game. I know they were previously called Beam and I know uh, Microsoft acquired it back in 2016. So I think it's, you know, it's a different, it's very similar in that sense of like Twitch going, you know, go to streaming site. Um, but I think they're going to approach it a little bit differently. I'm not sure how they're going to involve with, you know, Ninja coming on board and, I'm sure they're going to start reaching out to more relevant, you know, popular streamers to kind of jump onto their platform as well. But I think, like you said, it's a new shiny object. You know, a lot of people are going to be interested to see what their capabilities are and what the differentiator is going to be compared to Twitch. Um, Twitch is still a very prominent platform for streaming. And I think it's the go-to place for, you know, popular games like Fortnite and, you know, Overwatch and, and any other kind of streaming platform. I, I would love to see Mixer as a more versatile platform just because Twitch is so prominent around gaming. And there's a lot of Twitch streamers out there that don't do just gaming. You know, they do, they do chatting, they do you know, DIYs, they do singing, dancing. Yeah, so I think that variety, if they showcase that, I think it'll attract a lot more, more streamers and more audiences. Nice, I love that.
Yeah. Well, um, I'd say mine is, uh, I wouldn't say he's new, but if you don't already know about them out of the space, uh, Jocko Willink. So mm -hmm. Jocko is a podcaster who's really come to prominence kind of in the Tim Ferriss, you know, four hour work week kind of space, but he's starting to transcend into other categories. Um, he came on Casey's show, the, uh, or he came on Casey's channel maybe a couple months back. Yeah. So the background on Jocko is he was a Navy SEALs. So he has this amazing show about, um, uh, amazing podcast about lessons learned from being a Navy SEAL. And he brings on other people from the military and kind of goes through like lessons and case studies and famous, you know, uh, things that happened in war history or like stuff, recent like heroes from Afghanistan and stuff like that. And, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a military guy by background, but I think there's just this healthy obsession that we have with Navy SEALs or, you know, Green Berets or Army Rangers or, you know, SWAT team, just like humans that perform in uh, first responders that do these hard jobs where they're thrown into really dangerous careers and they're able to perform at that top 1% of, you know, all people uh, in their industry and, you know, have these amazing stories of like life and death situations that they actually faced on the job and yeah. are out there fighting for our freedom. And um, I think Jocko does a really great job of bringing those people in, humanizing them, telling those stories that sometimes maybe get overlooked by the traditional media, but then also like tying it back to like lessons learned on how can guys like you and I who have maybe no association with the military or Navy SEALs, but how can we apply the same lessons learned from those guys operating at that really high level to get missions done? Like how can we apply those same learnings to our lives and our jobs and our careers and families and like all things in between i just think uh like i just get so fired up listening to his podcast on the weekend and trying to carry that um carry that into my week each week definitely definitely yeah and, it, and it's a different perspective that we're not used to and i think looking at um you know listening to those type of podcasts i think it opens our perspective to things that we normally don't think about and i think that's where you know that key importance lies in us kind of being interested in that type of different type of lifestyle and how it applies to our daily lives as well, as you mentioned. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's interesting, like I haven't seen him do a ton of brand deals, but at the end of his podcast, he pretty much goes through a pretty deep litany of like things that he's personally involved in that I would say are more like joint ventures. Like, you know, he's got, he's got like jujitsu partnerships with, you know, gi companies and, uh, like different types of supplements, stuff that feels very like natural to the show. And, yeah. and it's weird, you know, like I, I'm, uh, you know, top end of the millennial spectrum married, you know, my wife does all the shopping. Like I literally don't even have an Amazon account. I rarely, <laughs> go, rarely go to stores. Like I don't buy things. Like I really only buy like cigars probably is you know, literally the only thing that I purchase for myself. Yeah. But I find myself, uh, months and months and months into his show really like, like going and checking out the website and like thinking like, okay, like, yeah, like I've heard him talk about these supplements and it's almost to the degree, to degree that I know I'm being marketed to, but I want to buy the stuff just to support the show. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you're, and that's because you're becoming a, a, a an avid fan, right? And you yeah. trust what he's saying and 
you're interested to see what he's interested in because obviously it's just so organic to the type of content he's pushing out. Um, and I agree, you know, I mean, when I listen to, you know, certain podcasts and I'm a huge fan of their podcasts, like part of my take, for example, and I'm a huge sports guy, you know, when they're endorsing a product, I'm interested to see what that product is. You know, I mean, they're mentioning on their host reads, but I, you know, I'll often search it because I just like Big Cat. I like PFT, you know, I like their content and whatever they're pushing out. It seems very interesting to me and it's very organic to the topics that they're kind of touching, you know, on a, you know, uh, couple week basis on their episodes. Yeah, no, I think it just shows to the effectiveness of these channels. Um, you know, we're marketers, we're in the industry and we see the methodology working on us and our subconscious and we can almost identify it. Absolutely. So if, if we're, if we're, you know, the actual proprietors of this stuff in the industry, imagine how effective it is on the people that don't understand what's actually going on. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> For sure. Love it. So what's next on the list? Uh, so industry news. What's new this week? What, what made kind of the headlines and what kind of grabbed your attention? Nice. Uh, anything on your end you want to jump off on? Yeah, for me, I mean, there's a few things. Obviously, you know, with the platforms that we're you know, consistently on, with YouTube testing, you know, um, you know, these new massive thumbnails on their desk, you know, desktop homepage to obviously Instagram hiding their likes and, you know, Opposite of that, TikTok is obviously making waves by, you know, showcasing more statistics like downloads and obviously, you know, they're grabbing the attention of marketers themselves. So there's a lot of industry news that we can chat about, but, you know, I think, you know, all three platforms are very important in our work. You know, obviously YouTube with long form content, you know, and these thumbnails being um, kind of tested is going to change the perception of how people kind of go through, you know, the site and Instagram hiding the likes, you know, it's a huge conversation of us, you know, how does that look in terms of, you know, our, our workflow and, you know, how we're working with brands. Because obviously influencers still have access to that and we can see it on our back end. Um, but the perception of not seeing the likes does kind of change our outlook into, into how we're approaching these influencers and these brand opportunities. And, you know, with TikTok as well, um, becoming more and more relevant in our space, you know, with them acquiring you know, Flippergram and, you know, Musical.ly, you know, they're becoming a dominant, dominant force in like the, the video, you know, streaming world. And I think, you know, being a TikTok user myself and testing it out recently, it's absolutely cluttered with content. And, you know, it's, it's a, a totally different approach um, to come, you know, what we're used to. Um, but I've been seeing a lot, a lot of, you know, sponsored ads on TikTok and marketers are absolutely on that platform. So. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting too, whenever there are new platforms like Musical.ly or TikTok, kind of up and coming platforms, which are generally super heavy density of, uh, you know, Gen Y, Gen Z, you know, younger people and stuff. Um, the efficiencies for marketers that want to get and work with talent in those spaces, it's crazy. I mean, the prices are just so much more reasonable in these up and coming yep platforms as far as total reach and impressions and what also tends to happen is because these platforms haven't really pivoted their algorithms to favor paid sponsorships you get a lot more organic reach so you know, these 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 tiktok stars or these musically stars they're they're still getting to hit a wide percentage of their audience because the paid methodologies hasn't quite throttled them down to prefer 
um, you know, boosting content and stuff that's happened in Facebook and Instagram. Like it's still kind of open season in the wild, wild west. And just the, at the end of the day, the efficiencies, like the prices that you can get these um, young uh, celebrities that are trying to, or these young influencers that are trying to monetize their profiles. Early days, it's like shooting fish in a barrel as far as rates. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally. Um, that. Well, I think uh, the thing that stood out to me more from the business side this week was S4 Capitals uh, and Media Monks merging with influencer marketing agency out of Amsterdam. Um, yeah. I think what's exciting about that story is that, you know, the big exits that you've seen in our space, um, you know, not around like the influencer marketing companies that are kind of providing this like, you know, interesting in between tech layer or kind of the, you know, the creator IQs of the world and stuff like that, really like the straight service based influencer agencies. Um, the only one that I can remember before, well, you've had DBA go out to UTA, which was super interesting. Yeah. You had, uh, you had laundry service go out to Wasserman, I believe, which is a traditional sports agency. So most of the acquisitions that you've seen in the space have at least on more of the services based side have tended to uh, been agency wrap ups that are more talent agent, talent agency driven, which I think is super interesting. But with S4 Capital, you have Sir Martin Sorrell and his roll up that he's executing against, which are more around, you know, new ways of doing business and displacing the traditional uh, holding company agencies. So you see Media Monks, which was their first major acquisition which was really big into new ways of doing production for digital and streamlining those capabilities. And now you see IMA going out to media monks. So um, you're, uh, it seems like the influencer agencies that are, tr that are displacing traditional PR, traditional creative, traditional media agencies, they're going to be looking for the new emerging uh, ad tech rollup, kind of the harder, the, the hotter, uh, smaller holding companies than maybe some of the more traditional big boys. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm excited, obviously from the business side to <laughs> see, <laughs> see how more of those roll-ups are executed and, and hats off to our friends at IMA for, uh, for their successful. Yeah, definitely. There. Definitely. Right on. What's next on the list? Well, I think the last thing is what's not in the newsletter, you know, what kind of, trending topic you found interesting this week that's not in you know the newsletter that uh, you know we got sent over yeah that's a good question you want to kick that off uh for me i think um you know i mean going back to tiktok you know the you know with any type of hot you know new platform everybody wants to crack its algorithm and, and i know there was a, a recent you know report on you know how people are trying to approach that you know with obviously youtube uh, a lot of people try to crack the algorithm with clickbait, you know, uh, keywords and titles and Instagram, you know, people are doing a lot of different tactics to get on the discover section. Uh, right now with TikTok, a lot of people are using, you know, the for you tab and hashtags um, just because it's such a hashtag prominent, you know, uh, content driving machine. Um, I think that's where a lot of the, the new eyeballs and new followers are going to. And I've been seeing it personally on myself. Uh, people trying to, you know, put up any type of relevant content and tagging it, you know, hashtag FYP to make it viral. Yeah, no, I love that. What, you know, I think, um, I think from my perspective, 
Uh, I'm just super, super bullish and excited on the podcast space. And, um, you know, we've seen a lot of great statistics around, um, around how, you know, those ship, what the overall, um, the overall industry is rising a lot in regards to uh, listenership and stuff like that. But what I'd really love to see is if somebody can figure out like what, what is the correlation to pod, the, the rise of podcasts and the tie back to voice and uh, voice enabled technology that continues to infiltrate all of our lives, whether that's, you know, through our devices um, or more, you know, direct voice enabled uh, platforms like Google Home or Amazon Alexa. Um, I feel like, you know, podcasts obviously as a format are taking off because it's just a really interesting place to go and see content. And, you know, when you see um, something like, you know, Bernie Sanders going on Joe Rogan, you know, you know, you've finally kind of come into, uh, <laughs> kind of come into the mainstream, <laughs> you know, the media medium is very important, but I'd like to know a lot more about how technology uh and the infiltration of smart devices inside of homes that are voice enabled like how is that uh generating the growth because a lot for me um as far as podcasts are concerned is uh you know listening to them in places where i didn't used to have technology like the kitchen or you know in the car and stuff like that absolutely yeah and i totally agree i think podcasts is such a hot you know, platform now with, you know, um, people listening on on the way to home, you know, on traffic, or like you said, you know, if you're at home in the living room or cooking, or you're running through a podcast that you're interested in, but tying back to kind of the original thing where I say influencers are taking it offline, you know, when you see, you know, podcast uh, channels like Pod Save America, they're doing content, you know, not just streaming it, you know, on, on you, know, I, you know, on your phone or when you're in your car, but they're actually having, you know, you know, city events where they're kind of going out to these big venues and actually doing a live podcast in front of a big audience. At the same time, they're also, you know, recording themselves and pushing it out where you can actually see them doing these actual interviews with like Bernie Sanders or any other, you know, type of relevant person that comes onto the show. So, you know, all those elements of that live event component, you, know, you can stream it and it's readily available online. And you can also see their podcast as well you know, through like video form content, all those layers are such an important thing for us, especially in our space, you know, just because a lot of brands, you know, they're getting more and more interested in podcasts because the, you know, the impressions and the overall, you know, downloads and listens are, are huge. And I think the, you know, the opportunity for us to get into that podcast space now is such an important task, especially with influencer marketing, you know, where it is today and where it is going in the future and all these new platforms that are kind of rising up you know, it's not just YouTube and Instagram anymore. Um, you know, there's a lot of different platforms like we mentioned, you know, throughout our show today. So, yeah. And, you know, and, and in regards to podcasts, I think there's a real collision on the business models of where, you know, where the, where did podcasts sit from the perspective of a media buying responsibility roles and responsibilities. Traditionally, you know, podcasts are not new. They've been around for 10 or 15 years, but yeah they have traditionally been looked at as a place where DR advertisers can come in and do live reads or programmatic, you know, pre-roll integrations or mid-roll integrations. And they've been measured on a cost per acquisition basis. And as more and more, as more and more influencers come in and start podcasts and really use them as a larger distribution mechanism of their larger media empire, whether that's, you know, YouTube and Instagram and other places, 
you can get those same types of integrations on more traditional branding metrics like CPMs or CPVs or CPEs, you know, things that aren't directly tied to like hardcore sales goals. And I think that's going to be a more important thing to think about as the industry matures is what's the ultimate goal of podcast? Is it top line brand awareness? Is it lower level DR performance metrics where you give out like a code and hope people come in and redeem via that code. But for me, it's a hundred percent should be moving and, and thought of as a premium space and as thought as a place where, you know, that um, upper level brand awareness gets generated. hundred percent agree. hundred percent agree. Well, awesome. Ray, was that it? Yeah, that's it. Good stuff. Well, thanks again, everybody, for having us on as guest hosts of Influencer Weekly this week. Uh, this is Dylan Conroy and Ray Kim signing out. Cool. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Yeah.